0: Why don't you be opening your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter five? And let me just say this as you're turning there in your Bibles. I'm gonna get ready to do something here that you're not supposed to do, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna set a date for the tribulation period to begin. What are y'all laughing at? i'm as serious as a heart attack man uh the tribulation period will begin january 11 1998 at 10, 10 a.m now it may not happen on the earth at that day but that's when our study in the book of revelation is going to begin the, the tribulation period um now don't go, you know, out of here and, and miss that, that was, I was kidding about that. Uh, it, it'll take us this morning to get through chapter 5 and then uh, the next week in chapter 5. And then January 11th we should be in Revelation chapter 6, which begins the tribulation period. But today we're going to be moving into into chapter 5. And I want to take just a second to set the context for you. We're going to need to spend just a minute in chapter 4 because the context of chapter 5 is really the same exact context as, as chapter 4. If you look back to chapter 3 and verse 22, you'll see that the church age ends there. And in chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, after this. Okay, that's after the church age. And he begins to talk about what took place after the end of the church age. And what is that? It's the rapture of the church, right? And in chapter four and verse one, John, who is a picture of the the church, is caught up into the third heaven. And so, when we come into chapter four now, the church is assembled in heaven, and we saw that there was a sevenfold sequence to get us there. We went through each part of that as we compared scripture with scripture. We went over to the First Thessalonians chapter four. We spent some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to pick up this seven-fold sequence to get us to heaven. And I want you to make sure that you understand this, that at this point, when we come into Revelation chapter 4, man's redemption has been completed. You see, the, the day that we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, what took place on that day is our souls and our spirits Were redeemed but what began on that day was us all of us who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ we began on that day awaiting the completion of our redemption it's what Romans chapter 8 calls the redemption of the what what Okay, that's that's in there. I'm looking for something. Our, our souls and spirits were redeemed the day we got saved, and we're awaiting the redemption of the... Okay, I, I must not have worded it right. That was the only problem. We are all of us who are saved this morning. Our souls and spirits are redeemed. We now await the redemption of the body. And we saw in chapter 4 exactly how that is going to be fulfilled in the rapture. And you'll look in chapter 4 and verse 1. You see that it says that a trumpet sounds and what we did is we traced trumpets through the bible and we saw that biblically trumpets sound in the bible for two purposes number one to assemble people for battle and number two to assemble people for worship and when this trumpet sounds in revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 it sounds for both purposes it sounds to assemble the church for worship, and it also sounds to assemble the heavenly host for battle. And what takes place here is our salvation captain, the Lord Jesus Christ, opens heaven, and he descends into the cloud clouds, and what he does is he snatches up off of the face of this planet all of those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are caught up to meet him in the, what, in the air right in the the face of the prince of the power of the air and the battle right there in his domain the battle is is won to complete our salvation and right there in the middle of the air the Lord gives to us the bodies that we must have in order to inherit inherit the kingdom of God. This corruptible must put on incorruption And what we receive in the midst of satan's domain is our glorified bodies and what takes place there is our lord completes our salvation and let me tell you it was quite a battle i mean it it took the moment of a twink in the twinkling of an eye to be able to pull this thing off when we saw that to be exact that was 11 one hundredths of a second i mean just uh, faster than i can snap my fingers the lord snatches us up he descends and, bam, right in Satan's face, he completes our salvation. We receive our the redemption of these bodies. And then from that point, just like Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt through the parted waters of the Red Sea, and just like Joshua led the children of Israel out of the wilderness through the parted waters of the Jordan River, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Joshua, that prophet like unto Moses what he does is he will lead us out of this world through the parted waters of the what the parted waters of the deep which Genesis chapter 1 says are above the firmament which Job talked about hide the face of his throne and through those parted waters he will lead us into the third heaven and in chapter 4 John is literally caught up into heaven To witness this event, he's not writing in chapter 4 about a dream that he had. He's not writing about a, a vision that he had. He is writing about what he actually saw taking place, literally, in heaven. John was seeing something in 95 A.D. that has not yet happened in 1997 A.D. He was actually seeing this. You say, I don't understand. Okay, well, then you're listening. Because there's no way in a finite mind to be able to comprehend how John could actually be there seeing the assembled church of the Lord Jesus Christ before it has actually been assembled. But do remember that our Lord is he which was and is and is to come and all at the same time, and he is not bound into time and space like we are. And evidently, that's what's taking place there as John is actually seeing what is going on in heaven. Hey, you, you guys ever do the uh, deja vu thing? You know, like you're doing something, and all of a sudden you're going, this has happened before. Uh, I, I dreamed this. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, this, I guess everybody does this. I, I'm, I'm not exactly what that is I think we all think we're prophets at that moment you know but um, I, what I hear is that you're a, a brain cell splits or some kind of thing like that to kind of just make us go tilt but you know as I was thinking about this it, it, it's it's like I'm, I'm thinking okay now John has already experienced this okay he, he saw this and then after the revelation was completed he goes back to the earth and he croaked not long after this this thing and of course at that point he went to heaven you know the guy's been there for 1900 years you know and, and i imagine by this point he's probably forgotten about all of that took place there and and one of these days here probably in the next couple of days or a couple of weeks maybe a couple of years if we're unlucky what's going to happen to us is all of this stuff that we see in chapter four in chapter five all that stuff is going to take place, and it, it's going to be, for John, a little deja vu. You know, Whoa, I've, I've done this before. This is wild, yeah. And, and, and you're probably not going to be able to remember what, what happens next, but it's it's all going to be just exactly the same way it was when he saw it in 95 A.D. You know, I, and I got to thinking about that, and I got to thinking about us. You know? I mean, we, here we are. We're studying this this ground, about what's getting ready to take place up there when we get there. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, wow, is this going to be like a little bit of a deja vu for us? Wow, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember you were going to say that. Yeah, I remember they were going to Yeah, we're falling now. Yeah, I remember that. It's, it's just kind of one of those deals that just kind of makes your mind go a little bit wild. But John is, is an eyewitness of, of what actually takes place after the church of jesus christ is assembled in heaven and after seeing the the sevenfold sequence to heaven john then described for us the sevenfold scene in heaven and he details for us seven things that he saw that were around the throne and before the throne and coming out of the throne and in the midst of the throne and of course he who was on the throne and we went into detail in chapter seven or chapter four about those seven things that Comprised the scene in heaven then we looked at the sounds of heaven as john describes for us the sevenfold worship of the heaven that the worship that is taking place out of the four beasts and out of the 24 elders and so, so we've covered all of that ground okay now, now now try to put yourself in the place of the apostle john okay i mean you're, you're snatched up off of this planet bam you're, you're in heaven and you for the very first time are beholding this, this incredible scene in heaven and you're hearing this, this worship and you're be watching as this, this worship is taking place and I mean for John, you gotta just understand that this is just this is just too much, I mean this is what every true child of God has, has waited for to be able to see the Lord Jesus Christ face. To face having shed this corruptible body that just keeps wanting to pull us down onto this earth and and here we are seeing him face to face in a glorified body and and at this point what we're able to to worship him with all that is within us and and we're falling down before him in chapter four it shows us casting our crowns before him and lifting up our voices and praise and adoration and thanks and and worship, and I mean, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, man, this this event—if you were John, I mean, it would be indescribable. I mean, this is just this is it, and you know how elated John must have been to be able to to, to see this, and I mean, of all people, John, right? I mean, because we we talked about John before. John was the closest disciple to the Lord Jesus Christ he was the one that had the most intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ you remember in that upper room in John chapter 13 he, he laid his breast his head on Jesus breast and Jesus begins to explain about the fact that one of the twelve would betray him and all of them the scripture says all of them began to ask Lord is it I? Lord, is it I? They all asked it, except John. John had a different question. John said, Lord, who is it? And John knew there may be somebody going to be betraying the Lord, but John did know this. He knew it wasn't going to be him. You of the 12, John was the only one to make it all the way to the cross. All the rest of them, they had scattered. Just one of them that made it to the cross, and it was John. And I, I mean, just, uh, again now, get, put yourself in John's shoes. Here is the beloved disciple with the most intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's watching as he is beaten. He's watching as he is scourged. He, he looks up from the foot of that cross, and he, he looks as... His Lord, His Master, His Savior, His God, His Friend, has been pierced. He's hanging up on that cross. And now, here is John, and he is caught up into heaven. And he is actually seeing the glorified Christ. And he is actually seeing all of heaven, giving his Savior and his God and his Lord, the glory that he deserves. And I'm I'm just telling you, if you're John at this moment, man, this is just, this is too much. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, you've lived for this. I mean, this would have been such a thrill to him. And and listen, I know that for every person who is going to be in heaven, listen, at that moment, it's going to be a thrill for all of us. But I do believe this, I do believe that there is going to be a greater thrill for some people. Again, listen, heaven's going to be heaven for all of us, but I do believe that there's, just like there's degrees of punishment in hell, I do believe that there's degrees of reward in heaven, and I believe that if you have lived your life on this planet living for that kingdom, living for that day, and praying with all of your heart that the Lord Jesus Christ would would be glorified in his kingdom and that his will would be carried out on this earth as it is in heaven and you're waiting and you're watching for that day that glorious day listen i believe that heaven is going to be all the more glorious for you and i believe that this is what john is experiencing here i mean he is just you know i mean people talk about ecstasy there is not a greater ecstasy than what John is experiencing here. And John, at the end of chapter 4, is no doubt so ecstatic that he's just absolutely beside himself, just totally at the the height of love and joy and and peace. And, And at this point, I mean, John has absolutely no care whatsoever about anything that is going on down at the earth. I mean, every earthly care is just completely removed and just when john is at that moment thinking oh my goodness it just doesn't get any better than this all of a sudden the bottom drops out in chapter five in chapter five in verse one something happens that takes john from the absolute height of joy and in a moment's time right into the very depths of despair Because God lets us know in verse 1 that there's one key item of unfinished business that needs to be dealt with, and it has to do with a book. A book that he is holding in his right hand. And and this book is the theme of chapter 5. And whereas chapter 4 centered everything on the throne, chapter 5 continues the discussion of what was taking place at the throne, immediately following the rapture of the church but the emphasis in chapter 5 is a book in fact this book is mentioned eight times in just the first nine verses of this chapter and let's pick up reading in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1 John says and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book Written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And now, Lord, I-, I pray that as we begin to move in- into this this morning, we want to stop and we want to just ask you to direct us and to, to teach us this morning. we are still in these, these corruptible bodies that are so prone to sin, and I pray that you would put in our hearts an anticipation for this day, when we've shed these earthly tabernacles and glorified bodies, we assemble at your sure throne, And Lord, would you teach us this morning what we need to see about This mysterious book that you hold in in your right hand. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now let's let's get into it. We'll look first of all at the sealed scroll. The sealed scroll. And I use the word scroll here to try to help you to visualize what John actually saw, because what John calls a, a book in verse one is not the same thing as you and I would, would call a book. I mean, we're all holding a book that we call the Bible in, in our hands. But when you envision what John was looking at, don't don't look at it like like this, because books in, in those days, in, in John's day, were in the form of a scroll. And he gives us in, in verse 1 three characteristics of this scroll. First of all, it is in the right hand of God. It is in the right hand of god and the right hand of god in the bible is the hand of strength or power so we don't know for sure right now what this this book actually is but we do know this that if anyone's going to get this book out of his hand he would have to have the strength and the power of almighty god right and of course to have the strength and power of almighty god that one would have to be none other than god himself right Secondly, this, this book or this, this scroll is written on the inside and the outside. That's what John means when he says that it was written within and on the back side. It was written on, on both sides of the, the parchment. So we know this, that whatever this book is, it is obviously very detailed and a very comprehensive document. And then thirdly, it is sealed with seven seals. Now, at the time that, that John received the revelation, the only document that was required by Roman law to be sealed with seven seals was a will. Okay, A, a will under Roman law required seven witnesses. And so what would take place is that the document, or this, this will, would be prepared, and then each of the seven witnesses that would be there, the scroll would be rolled up, and they would each take their seal and put it on this scroll. And for that scroll, that will to ever be opened, it required that all seven or their legal representatives be present. And so John looks at this, he sees the scroll and he sees the seven seals. And so immediately John would have recognized that this seven sealed document that was in the right hand of God is of utmost importance and of utmost secrecy And something that had to do with God's ultimate will and testament and it's obvious by John's reaction down in verse 4 that he understood what this seven sealed scroll was he knew our problem is we don't right and you see, our problem is chapter 5 doesn't specifically come right out and disclose what it was that was actually written on the inside and the outside of this document. And so there's been all kinds of speculation through the years as to what this book actually is. Some people say that that the book is, is the Bible. And personally, I have a real hard time seeing that one. I, I do recognize that according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, what it says is that the bible to the natural man is a sealed book but for all of us who know the lord jesus christ is our savior all of us who have had a supernatural birth man this is anything but a sealed book to us right i mean this is a this is an open book i mean it, it says in one corinthians chapter two that the spirit of god reveals this book to us so it, it's it can't be the bible others have said that perhaps it's the book of Daniel Uh, Daniel was was closing out his prophecy in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4 God told him to shut up and seal the words of that book and so there's a lot of people that speculate that that must be what this book is because the book of Daniel was a sealed book but if you go on in that very same verse Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4 what God said is that the book of Daniel would be sealed until the time of the end. Well, I wonder what that time is. He defines that for you in that very same verse. He defines for you the time of the end, and he says that the time of the end would be that time when both travel and knowledge would be increased. He talks about men running to and fro anywhere on the planet and a time when knowledge has been increased. And this century has certainly proved to be that time, has it not? I mean, we came into this century with the the invention of the locomotive, and then we come into the automobile, and then the airplane. And at this point in 1997, you can be anywhere on this globe. You can run to and fro on this globe, be anywhere that you want to be on this planet in less than 24 hours. And, I mean, we're not even talking now about the, the, the way men run to and fro throughout space and rocket ships and, you know, that that kind of thing. And, obviously, this has been the century when knowledge has been increased. We live no longer in the Industrial Age, but the what? The Information Age. And God said that the book of Daniel would remain sealed until that time. And, coincidentally enough, it has been in this century when the book of daniel really is no longer a mystery to us because we're able to go to the book of daniel since the nation of israel became a nation in 1948 in in our lifetime and and we've been able most of our lifetime we're able to look back and see some of those things that give us major keys to understand the the book of daniel and so for all of us that are living in the time of the end the book of daniel is no longer a sealed book Uh, others have said that this sealed book is the book of Revelation. And interestingly enough, with 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, if it had a seal after every three chapters, it would have seven seals and it would be written within and on the back side, 21 chapters on the inside and chapter 22 on the back side of the last seal. So that makes a lot of sense, but the only problem is, you come to Revelation chapter 22 and verse 10, and it specifically says, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So, it can't be the Bible. It can't be the book of Daniel. It can't be the book of Revelation. So, what is it? Well, like I said, you can't, you can't go to chapter 5 and actually see what the actual content of, of the book is, but if you keep reading, in the book of Revelation, it becomes obvious what the contents are. Okay, now listen very carefully. If you keep reading in the book of Revelation, what you're going to find is in chapters 6 and 7, these seals on this book that are talked about in verse 1, the seals are open. And, and you know what happens as these seals are open? The judgment of God is poured out upon the earth. So, okay, we we may not fully understand what the document is, but we've learned this already. Whatever the book is, it has something to do with the earth. And then turn over to chapter 8 and verse 1 for a second. Chapter 8 and verse 1, and and notice that when the seventh seal is opened, verse 1 says that, that there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour and verse 2 the opening of the seventh seal initiates the sounding of seven trumpets okay so you got it the seven seals are open when that seventh one is open it initiates the sounding of seven trumpets and those trumpets sound through chapter 8 through chapter 9 through chapter 10 and chapter 11 and go, go to chapter 11 in verse 2 Fifteen for the, the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And you know what happens when that seventh trumpet sounds? Look at verse 15 of Revelation 11. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And so once again, we see that it has something to do with this earth, or this this world, and now we find specifically in Revelation eleven fifteen, we find specifically that it has something to do with Jesus taking possession of all of the kingdoms of the earth. Okay, now go back to Revelation chapter 5 for a second. Revelation chapter 5, and you'll notice in verse 8, Jesus takes this book, when he does, the four beasts and twenty-four elders fall down before him. In verse 9, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof and watch the result in verse 10. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Okay, now, now, now wait a minute. The church has already been raptured off of the earth and is in heaven so at this point in the book of Revelation what are we doing singing about reigning on the earth in a future tense we shall I mean we're already in heaven but it's talking about that we shall reign on the earth and of course if you understand biblical prophecy if you understand the book of Revelation the reason that it says that is because after the earth has been judged during the tribulation period, that's seven years, and that's what the opening of the seven seals is all about. It's the tribulation period. What takes place after that is Jesus Christ comes back to this earth for his second coming, and what he does then is he establishes his throne in Jerusalem, and from that throne he rules the entire earth earth and just like verse 10 of chapter 5 says we will rule and reign with him on the earth okay so let's put all of these these pieces together what we've done is we've utilized two very basic little principles of bible study comparing scripture with scripture and keeping all scripture in its context and what has become clear is that this book That is in the right hand of God this scroll that is sealed with seven seals is none other than the title deed of the earth the title deed of the earth now let me explain to you what that means when God created Adam out of the the recreated dust of the earth in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 of Genesis chapter one says that God gave Adam what dominion over the kingdom of this earth. Okay, now, now listen very carefully. He was given dominion over this earth. Now Exodus 20 or Exodus 9 and verse 29, and Psalm 24 and verse 1, and there's other scriptures are very clear about the fact that the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. It's His. He holds the title deed. But in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, God made a copy of that deed, as it were, and He entrusted that. He entrusted the dominion of this earth to Adam. Now again, it's the Lord's. He holds the original title deed, but he entrusts ownership of it to Adam. And listen, all that Adam had to do to retain possession of it is simply walk in obedience to the Word of God. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it at this point, but in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, at this point, Adam's Bible only had three verses in it which detailed two specific commands. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 said, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, those were the other two verses, which simply said, Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here he is. He's got a Bible. God has spoken to him. God has said something to him when God speaks. It is words. And so he's got the word of God, and he's got two very simple commands. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and don't eat of the tree. Okay, and of course, we all know what happened. Adam sinned. He ate of the fruit of the, the tree that God had forbidden. And, and we spend a lot of time talking about the, the the fact that the result of that sin was that he died spiritually. And, and of course, that's that's man's greatest need, to be born again. The reason we need to be born again is because Adam died spiritually. That spiritual death, Romans 5.12, said it's passed upon all men and for that all have sinned. So we all have the need of being born again because Adam died Spiritually, and as a result of that death, he was separated from God. But there were some other results to that sin that we don't talk about too often, and that is that when Adam fell, all fell. All creation at that point came under the curse of sin. The, the, the land was cursed, along with everything else in the earth. And that's why Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 23 says that all creation groans and travails in pain together until now. It's because all of creation fell when Adam fell. And not only that, but when Adam fell, he also forfeited the title deed of the earth that had been given to him by God and it passed out of his hands And into the possession of Satan, and that's why. Now listen, that's why Second Corinthians chapter four and verse four calls him the God of this world. We kind of just breeze by, you know, verses like that. We don't really fully under. If the earth is the Lord's, then what in the world is Satan doing as the God of this world? It was because God entrusted the title deed to this earth. To adam and when he fell it passed into the possession of satan and he became the god of this world ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 says he became the prince of the power of the air and that's why hey, for all of your sleeping it's time to turn your sheets i could tell by the, the the rustle in the crowd but now listen that's why in matthew chapter 4 when satan led jesus into the wilderness you, you remember what took place there it says in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says again, The devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Now understand, this is Satan taking the Lord Jesus Christ up into a high mountain and Satan is showing him the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And Satan said unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And you'll notice in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus does not look at him and say who in the devil are you? Uh uh He doesn't say, "Hey, wh- who are you to be offering me the these kingdoms?" He, he didn't say that. Because through Adam's sin, Adam sold the possession of them to Satan, but let me let me tell you something, folks. There's nothing that's in this book by accident. And I want you to turn back to the book of Leviticus. You know that that old, crusty, boring, laborious book of Leviticus. And let me show you a, a little principle that God laid down and tucked away in this this little book back here. Leviticus chapter 25. And check out this glorious statement in light of what we've just seen. Verse 23. The land shall not be sold forever. Praise the Lord. For the land is mine god says i i i know that somebody might take possession of it for a while but y'all don't forget now the land is mine oh yeah i i know someone else may strut across the earth you know talking about the fact that they've got the copy of the, the the title deed but but god is saying here don't ever forget i hold the original i've got the original for those of you who were were here last year during this this very time we were studying the book of Ruth and we, we looked at this this principle here from Leviticus twenty five verses twenty-three down to verse fifty-five. What what this is, this is where God is laying down the provision in the law of the kinsman redeemer. Now, if you weren't here, you may not be you know real familiar with the principle. Even if you were here being a year ago, you may need just a, a, a little reminder. Okay, you'll remember. That when God brought the children of Israel into the promised land, that what God did is he divided the land according to the families. Remember this? According to the 12 tribes. And one of the things that God wanted to make sure never happened is that nobody or no no family ever got to the point that they had so monopolized the land that they controlled the nation. And so one of the safeguards that God built into his law were certain provisions... To make sure that that didn't happen and that's why verse 23 says the land shall not be sold forever for the land is mine for ye are strangers and sojourners with me in all the land of your possession you shall grant a redemption of the land if thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possession and he goes on later in the chapter to talk about that maybe He might even sell himself into slavery because of the the debt that he owed. So if he he sold sells away some of his possessions, land, or even himself, and any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And again, what this is describing is the principle of the provision of the kinsman redeemer, which stated that if somebody had become extremely poor and had been forced To sell their land in payment of that debt, or like we just talked about, or have been forced to sell themselves into slavery in payment of that debt, then God provided that one of their kinsmen, one of their near kinsmen, as it talks about in in Deuteronomy 25, one of their blood relatives could come, and if he had the ability to do so, and if he was willing to do so, he could pay that debt. To redeem that person and their land okay so those were the three basic requirements the kinsman redeemer number one had to be a blood relative number two he had to be able that is he he couldn't be in debt himself he had to have the wherewithal to be able to pay the debt that this this person owed and the number three he had to be willing it wasn't something that he had to do so he had to be willing to do it okay now, now listen this is most definitely the, the principle that god established to keep the land straight and the continuation of the family lines in israel and all of that but don't please don't miss the fact that what god is doing through this principle is he is painting one major illustration of the entire redemption of the human race And planet earth okay here's here's what God is trying to teach us through this principle in his law that was given to the nation of Israel you see through Adam's sin that every single person in this room has continued in what happened to all of us is our souls became absolutely bankrupt we became the slave of sin we became the slave of Satan And we came under the domination of the God of this world. And very simply stated, what happened to us is we lost our inheritance. The inheritance that God designed for us to rule and reign on this planet, just like he had given to Adam. We lost that inheritance, and we had absolutely no way possible of redeeming ourselves. And so God stepped in. God stepped in in the person of Jesus Christ and he fulfilled the requirements of our redemption as our kinsman redeemer. Listen to it. Number one, he became our blood relative. You see, that's why God became a man. To become our blood relative. Would you listen to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14? It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh, and blood he also himself likewise took part of the same in other words god took part of flesh and blood just like all of the rest of the humans on this planet and the verse goes on that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil you see folks listen the price of sin had to be paid for god to be god he he couldn't just overlook it he couldn't just sweep it under the rug it had to be paid and to pay it he had to be a blood relative and possess human blood and yet at the same time it also had to be god's blood and and you see that meets the second requirement the lord jesus christ was able to He was able to redeem. In order for redemption to be made possible, it would necessitate human blood. He'd have to be our kinsman, our near kinsman. It would necessitate human blood, and yet at the same time, it had to be sinless blood. The blood of God. You see, that was the whole purpose, like we talked about last week. It was the whole purpose of the virgin birth and Jesus Christ not being conceived of a human father, but being conceived of the Holy Ghost You see, in order to provide redemption, the kinsman redeemer had to be 100% man and yet 100% holy God. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ was the exact fulfillment of that. And that's why Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him but there was a third requirement that he also met and that is he was willing to do it he was willing now, now listen folks I- I- as you grow older and your walk with the Lord and uh, listen don't ever get to the place to where you, you look at what he did for you as something that he had to do because he didn't now, now listen if he didn't we'd all Spend eternity in the flames of hell. And God would have been perfectly justified in sending us there because hell is the only thing that any of us ever deserved. Amen? Hell is the only thing that anybody on this planet has ever earned. So you see, even though we were so unworthy, and even though the Lord Jesus Christ as God was under absolutely no obligation whatsoever. He took one look at us in all of our sin. And you know what he did? He loved us. He loved us. And as Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, what he said as he looked at us in all of our sin, I'm not willing that even one of them should perish. And he willingly laid down his life for us. He was willing to do all that was necessary to redeem us. And you see, when, when John, go back to Revelation 5 now. Okay, now, now I, know, I know we've covered a lot of territory already. But you see, when, when John records what, what he does that was going on in, in heaven in Revelation chapter 5. The issue of what is going on in chapter 5 as we saw has to do with the redemption of the earth. You see, that's the unfinished business. That's why God pulls out this seven sealed scroll. Oh man, the church is there. And the resurrected saints are there, man. And worship is taking place in heaven, but God knows there's still some unfinished business and so he pulls out this book to bring to the forefront the reality that there's still something that needs to take place and it has to do with something that's going on on this earth okay, now I mentioned this at the beginning and I want to make sure that you've got this according to first Peter chapter 1 verses 18 to 23 Jesus redeemed our souls and spirits the day we received him into our lives through what he had accomplished at Calvary. According to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and Romans chapter 8 and verse 23, Jesus will redeem our body at the rapture. And of course, that would have been what took place in Revelation chapter 4. And then according to Revelation, or Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 22, and what we see here in Revelation chapter 5, Jesus will redeem the earth and all of creation upon the completion of the opening of the seven seals from the scroll. Do you follow that? The earth is going to be redeemed, but first of all it must be judged, and during the tribulation period it is all in preparation for Jesus Christ to come back and be given the kingdom of this world over which he will rule and reign and we will reign with him so that's what this sealed scroll is in verse one that john said he saw in the right hand of god it is the title deed of the earth and now let's move from the sealed scroll to the sorrowful search the sorrowful search now again here's john and he's caught up to behold the most glorious thing in, in the entire world. I mean, there's never been a moment in all the history of mankind like the moment that he's experiencing here. I mean, the, the Savior whom he loved with all of his heart and longed to see and be with, he finally sees him in all of his glory. He, he, he sees him receiving the, the glory and the praise and the worship and the thanks that he deserves. John is in absolute ecstasy and at the end of chapter 4 I mean he's hearing the four beasts crying out before the throne Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come and if you go over to Isaiah chapter 6 what it lets you know is that it is so incredible that it it takes the post of heaven and they shake I mean while this is going on I mean it's just John would be just totally wigged at this point. I mean, just wow! The thunder as they, the four beasts, are crying out, "Holy, holy, holy!" And then the twenty-four beasts echo, "Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power." And in the midst of all that is going on, all of a sudden, in the midst of all of this, this splendor and this, in this incredible moment, God pulls out this the seven-sealed scroll as if to say, hey, this is, this is all wonderful, but redemption is not fully complete. And all of a sudden, in the midst of all of the sound of heaven that we were talking about, in the midst of all of the thundering and the post-shaking and all of this, all of a sudden in heaven, a holy hush is brought about heaven the four beasts which we saw in chapter 4 where it says that they cease not day and night crying holy, holy, holy they've ceased the 24 elders and all of the praise and all of that the representative church they closed their mouths and their silence in heaven and nobody moves I mean all of this is going on and then this this hush comes over heaven and nobody moves and i mean okay the picture picture your john right now okay i mean you got to be i mean it's just it's just <laughs> shut down and you got to be thinking what's up with what's up with that, man? what's going on here and then in verse 2 the silence is broken and john says i saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor in the earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And he doesn't say how long the angel waited for an answer. But evidently, it, it, was, it was for some time because John says in verse 4, and I wept much. It's not like, you know, you know I, I started to cry no, he says, I, I wept much. I, I wept long and, and hard, as it were. I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Okay, now, now go back up to verse 2 for a second. And notice the agent of the search. John says that it was a strong angel. Now there's only... Three times that that phrase is found in the Bible. They're all in the book of Revelation. It's found here and then in chapter 10 and verse 1. It's also found in chapter 18 and verse 21. We don't have the time to go into all the proof of it, but it's most likely a reference to Gabriel. And John says that, that he was not just saying something. Okay, We've seen in chapter 4, we've seen people saying things. He's, but the, the strong angel is doing more than saying something. He was proclaiming. I mean, He he is heralding a major declaration. And it says, with a loud voice. And the loudness shows not only the the great concern of the angel and the urgency of the situation, but if you drop down to verse 3, it lets us know that this angel had to have the strength to lift his voice so that it reached throughout the entire universe. And the goal of the search was for any man in the entire universe who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. Now, there would be many who would be willing to take the book and to rule the earth. I mean, if that would have been the question... Then Alexander the, the Great would have no doubt stepped up, along with Napoleon and, and Genghis Khan and Karl Marx and Adolf Hitler and thousands of other people down through the course of history. But the question wasn't who is willing. The question is who is worthy. And again, verse 3 lets us know the scope of the search is the entire universe. The search is made, first of all, throughout heaven. I mean, the angel is saying, Okay, y'all are here. Is there anybody here who's worthy? I mean, he's looking for some saint who had died and been resurrected or some saint who was raptured at the rapture of the church and brought to heaven. Is there anybody here who's worthy? And think about about the folks who are there, y'all. I mean, Abraham... Is there. The Bible says of him what it says of no other person. It says he was the friend of God. And David is there, and the Bible says of David what it says of no other person. That he was the man after God's own heart. And here's Job, and the Bible says about Job what it says about no other man. He feared God and eschewed or hated evil. Enoch is there. And the Bible says about Enoch what it says about no other man. It says that he walked with God and his testimony pleased God. The apostle Paul is there. Peter is there. And even the beloved apostle, I mean, here's John. He's right there. He's listening to the whole deal. But verse 3 says, there was no man in heaven who was worthy And the search was made, secondly, all the way to the earth. And check it out. There was no preacher, no Bible scholar, no pope, no bishop, no cardinal, no priest. No man in the earth opens their mouth. And thirdly, the search is made even into hell and you've got to love it because this is the same description of what's over in Philippians chapter 2, isn't it? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. In all of these dimensions, the search is made into hell and verse verse 3 says, neither under the earth, that's that's hell, and no man was able to open the book neither to look thereon. Verse 4 gives us the failure of the search That there was no man found. I mean, here, the voice of the angel echoes throughout the corridors of time and throughout the entire universe, and there is absolutely no reply. I mean, think about it. Of all of the billions and billions of people who have lived on the earth, and there is not one single one who was worthy to take up the challenge from the throne and rule the earth not one john says in verse four and i wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon L- listen john understands that there is a whole lot that's riding on someone being found worthy to be the kinsman redeemer and open these seals. You see, John knew what that book contained. That's why he is weeping so uncontrollably. He, he knew that if that book were never opened and those seals were never removed, he number one, he knew that all of the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the Lord Jesus Christ ruling and reigning upon the earth would be of none effect. And he weeps. Number 2 he knew that all the earth and all of creation would remain under the curse of sin and he weeps. Number 3 he knew that Israel would never be restored and he weeps. And number 4 he knew that ultimately the bible would be untrue because he knew that Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the wall, till all be fulfilled. And John did something that no man to that point had ever done in heaven. He weeps. I mean, this is the place where, where tears are removed. John comes here, and in the moment—I mean, he's just caught up—and in and all of it, in the next minute, he's he's weeping because no man could stand up to the challenge. And then, out of the sorrowful search for someone to open the sealed scroll, John sees in verses five through seven the standing Savior, and that's where we'll pick up next Sunday. Now Father, we thank you this morning that this is an open book to us. You've you've laid it out so masterfully. You've given us every single thing that we need to be able to understand it. And Lord, I, I pray that today that even now you would be granting understanding. people who are in this room who at this point if the rapture were to take place in the next few moments at this point they would not be a part of, of what we just read about but would ultimately be separated forever from you in the flames of hell and Lord I, I pray that by your spirit right now you would convict of sin in their life of your absolute righteousness and of the judgment that is certainly to come upon this earth and all that dwell therein we pray that this would be the day that they would have their soul and spirit redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That they would know the, the promise of the redemption of these bodies as we enter eternity to be with you. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would speak to, to the hearts of, of people in this room that are outside of a relationship with you. And with our heads bowed right now, you folks who are here this morning and you don't know the Lord, if the Lord is speaking to your heart today, in just a moment we're going to be dismissed. And so if the Lord is speaking to you, we invite you to come in just a moment and talk to one of our pastors. And for those of us that do know the Lord, what I'm hoping and praying that God will do as we walk through Revelation chapter 5 is remind us of our glorious salvation that he's provided for us and give us the anticipation for his kingdom to come to this earth for those seven seals to be opened so that this earth can be prepared to receive her king and let's put our focus on, on that day the day that God has placed his focus. And so Lord, would you would you help us today to have that focus and may we see people saved in this service today. In Jesus' name. Amen.